Dragon the Peg is recorded in Treaty 1 territory, the traditional territory of the Anishinaabeg, Cree, Oji Cree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and on the homeland of the Métis Nation. That being said, please welcome to the stage my best friend, my drag mother. She's she's literally my drag mother. She's like, you know, your mother, your mother, your mother, your mother, your mother, your mother, your mother. Please give it up for the incomparable shout out to Sarah David. Suchita Loren! Welcome to Dragon the Peg, a podcast series exploring the lives and careers of drag performers living in Winnipeg, Canada. My name is Graham Hooson, and I'll be your host. Our next guest is one of the very first queens that I ever met. If your only experience with drag is the level of quality that you see on RuPaul's Drag Race, this guest is the whole package right in our very city. She's known for her beauty, the quality of her looks, and of course her show-stopping talent. That's not mentioning the fact that she's won more titles in the city than any other active queen. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome the mother of the House of Lorraine and Empress 15 of Winnipeg, Satina Lorraine. All right, well, my name is Carrie Burton Shallowdale, but in tits and tights, I'm Satina Lorraine. I'm a really fun person. <laughs> I've been doing drag for eight plus years. And I've literally done all you can do in drag. You've done a lot. Yes. I'm a very busy woman, and I have all day to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah, I've, I I started eight years ago, and my first title I ever got, I got like six months into being a drag queen. And then it just I've just never stopped. And it's been a good fucking, it's been a nice trajectory. It's you been can a, swear. Oh, I'm allowed to yeah, swear. Yeah, this okay, is good. a swearing podcast. I love swearing. No, um, <laughs> no, it's been, a, it's, been, it's been a really good time. Like, I've done... A lot of things and drag has really opened my friend circle and uh, my business side. Like it's opened a lot of doors, which is incredible. It's wow. such a great experience. It's so much fun. I honestly think that anyone who thinks they should do drag should try it at least a couple times just for shits and giggles. It's so good. <laughs> so one of the more nuanced and complicated kind of parts of the Winnipeg drag scene is the court system. Mm -hmm. So for listeners that don't know, it's an international queer organization that began in San Francisco about 50 years ago when Jose Saria, the first openly gay candidate to run for public office, declared herself the Empress of San Francisco. And now there's like 65 chapters across North America, including one in Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. And ours is called Snowy Owl Marnica Society, mm -hmm. or SOMS. And so every year an Empress or Emperor is crowned, the, and they reign for a full year. So you, Satina, mm -hmm. how many years was it after you started drag? I started drag in 2010-ish, and mm -hmm. I reigned in 2014-2015. Uh, wow. So my year was July uh, to July of 2014-2015. So just over about four years ago. You also were crowned Entertainer of the Year. Yeah, so, so Entertainer of the Year is a part of our court system. It's a title that they have in our organization. It's a pageant that they, you run for. Sometimes it's appointed, sometimes it's a pageant. It depends on the year. That year, it was a pageant that we ran for. And if you win, you represent Winnipeg and you put on shows, as one does, as an entertainer <laughs> of the year. You entertain people. And so I only did it six months into my drag career. So I was still very new, very unpolished. I still had people doing my makeup. I didn't actually do my own makeup until a year in. 
which is wow. yeah i was a late bloomer uh, because <laughs> i actually i went to every other drag queen and asked them to paint me because i wanted to learn how to do it but i ended up just letting them do their <laughs> magic and uh so so as entering the year you have to put on your own shows you have to do fundraisers you have to make the float for the pride parade for the soms or the snowy alamonica society you make the parade float you host events and you fundraise mm-hmm. honestly that's one of our mainstays in winnipeg is that drag is central around fundraising that's 99.9 mm-hmm. percent of the things that we do people don't understand that's a very expensive hobby and it's a very expensive hobby um but we we do get paid when we do shows but most of the time we're doing it out of the love of the craft and we're doing it for the betterment of our communities and all that we do is fundraise. Mm-hmm. So as entertainer of the year, that's one of your main goals is to fundraise and to help with raffles and to help with fundraisers and things like that. And that's what I did the like six months in. I was brand new. I ran against people who had been doing drag for almost 30 years at the time. One of the contestants who I was up against was Jennifer Coates mm-hmm. and I ended up winning, which is crazy. Doing pageants, you learn a lot because it's not just doing a show. You're doing question and answers you're actually like pushing yourself to do other things because they really want you to, when you do a question and answer, they're not just looking at how intelligent you are. They're actually looking how good you speak on a microphone or how good you are at presenting at a bar. Because when you do your own shows, if you have no idea how to talk to people, how you host, how you host exactly. So how do you host? If she can at least answer a question that we ask her, I think that she can host, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's one of the things they looked at. And that was one of my weaker points was hosting at the time. And then uh, just can you kind of grow from it and you learn. Miss Club 200, 2017, 2018, every other title in Winnipeg since 2009. Satina Loren, IPFT, BDDP, Tequila Styles, Lamar Cosmo, Sexington, Frost Whip, Fair Pump, Diamonds, Duet, Steel, Miss Loren, if you're nasty. And then a couple years later, you were crowned Empress. Mm-hmm. So how did that feel, being such a relatively new queen, being honored with this title it's been supported for decades it was it was it was at the time really it was hard in a good learning capacity because i was the young, i'm actually the youngest empress that has ever happened that ever reigned in winnipeg i was 23 uh mm-hmm. when i stepped up and so being young i had a lot of naivety towards it because i didn't i mean i'd been involved with the organization for so long because prior to being empress and being elected i was uh entering the year and then a year uh, two years later i was duchess and then I was princess, and then I was empress. So I literally did like the three, like <laughs> I just did the stepping stones. So I've been involved with the organization, and then, but stepping up into the empress role where you're, you are literally the the head of state, and you are the representation of Winnipeg throughout the court system, it puts a lot of pressure on you. But you learn quickly, you adapt really quickly. But it's honestly one of the greatest experiences I've ever had because I got a chance to travel throughout Canada and the United States representing Winnipeg, and it was incredible it dented my finances so hard Um, (laughs) but no the relationships i fostered through it and meeting people while going to other coordinations is unprecedented and it's it's incredible like just meeting other people who are there and like-minded with your community at heart that's what we do on our our coordination ball is our biggest fundraiser that's where we make a lot of money and that's what we're, we're hoping to grow and to have more people come in and be more accessible to everybody because I think that when people realize what we do they'll fall in love with it and mm-hmm. that's why I fall in love with it because I believe that what we're doing is so great and we're so like one of our missions is to fundraise for local LGBT charities that's what our main goal is and so like for my year we raised $13,000 
Wow. Just, just through doing literally doing fundraisers and doing raffles. Um, and all the money went to the Marine Barisa Center and other uh, programs that they run, like Camp Aurora, which I think are extremely needed, especially in our time. And that's what we do. How does it feel when you use something like drag, like a performance entertainment sort of medium to fundraise and raise money? What I didn't realize when you go into it is that drag isn't just dressing like a lady and mashing your mouth up to other people's music for four minutes. You have a podium and when you are performing, you have a voice and you have an audience. And nine times out of ten, people are listening to everything that you say. So it's a, it's not just an entertainment form. It's a form of activism. And when you have a platform like that, it allows you to talk about things that should be talked about. And even though the drag is always going to be fun, it won't be like a chore to ever do it. But when you have that platform, we make sure that we use it. We make sure that everything that we say is heard. Because there's people who aren't able to speak or who don't feel like they should. And that's what we're here for, is that when you reign as an empress, you represent everybody in your city. And if someone has something to say, you make sure that you either say it for them or let them speak. Speaking on titles a little bit, <clears throat> by the so time that this episode comes out, so many. There's so many titles. <laughs> wow. This is a decorated queen. I am literally me. crowned everything. <laughs> <laughs> so by the time that this comes out, this episode your reign will have ended, but right now as we're recording, you're currently Miss Club 200. Yeah, so it's my most recent big hat I have. <laughs> my <laughs> shiny hat I have, the the crown for Miss Club 200, yeah. So how did it feel to be honored as kind of the representative of really Winnipeg's only queer-owned bar now? It's incredible, because w- when I look at the history of Miss Club 200, there's people who have been mainstays in the community, like Anita Stallion and Joan Costalazza. Prior to her passing, Jennifer Coates, Lita, they've all been Miss Club 200s, and so when I finished my year as Empress in 2015, I realized that I, I mean, I could do Empress again, but it's a huge financial burden, but it's a great cause. But this, I was like, you know what? I think I should take ownership of my talents and use them to better our queer-owned establishments. And I think that's one of my mandates was to make sure that everything I did was successful. And I was like, you know what? I think Miss Club 200 is the best thing to do because... A, it was the only other title I didn't have. <laughs> but no, I, also, I thought at the time, I, like, I think what I have, I can offer a lot to make sure that we can have really good events there. And I, and I think I brought in a fresh perspective of having been a head of an organization. This is like a, another, another venue. And I get along famously with the owners. They're incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of put their trust into me once I stepped up. And uh, we've just been having a ball ever since. Talking about kind of all of your decorations, Mm -hmm. I imagine this is probably going to be a hard question since it's you and not somebody who's watching you. But what do you think? I mean, kind of at this point, it's kind of objective that you're a really good drag queen. I mean, I'm okay. You you have all the titles in Winnipeg that you possibly could. Exactly. So what do you think makes you that good? I think, honestly, it's because I, I was really theatrical when I was a kid. I loved watching plays, and I loved being on stage when we did, I did theater um, in, like, a uh, like a community center group. Mm-hmm. I loved being on stage, and I loved performing for people. So it was just natural that my hobbies included makeup, because I also draw. I'm a, I'm a, I do portraits, and I, I, I'm an artist. So it translated from doing art on paper to doing art on my face, mm-hmm. and then loving theater and loving being in front of people I'm a people person like I'm a I I thrive in front of people that's where I just I I feel my best and I feel good when I'm engaging people and it was just kind of a a progression where I just realized that I have talent of performing and commanding an audience 
that's my one I think my one biggest strength is I can stand there and command a room and I can make people listen uh, which I mean is good or bad but whatever <laughs> and I think that um, being a drag queen I embodied all of those characteristics into one and I think that's what sets me apart is that I'm fully rounded and I know what I'm doing <laughs> I think is a is a good thing I'm not bumbling I'm not I'm not walking around and not sure what I'm doing mm -hmm. I'm 100% committed and I think that's what sets me apart from a lot of people is that I'm thorough through and through and even my makeup's progressed a lot if you look at me from pictures of five years ago I don't look like I do now <laughs> and I think that's what it is, it's just being theatrical and being able to work in that type of environment. And uh, that's what I've been good at. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with it. How did you pick that up? Was a lot of it learning from the queens that helped it's you? It's a lot of learning from people who came before you. Like It's a lot of watching. Honestly, one of the best things I loved uh, when I started doing drag was just sitting around and letting them tell their stories mm -hmm. and like grasping and learning from them so I literally I, I learned a lot of my drag family Samara Styles and Lita Tequila are my my drag parents or my drag moms mm -hmm. and just hearing them talk about their experiences and how they do things and watching them get ready you just kind of so you, when you watch them perform you're like okay I like what they're doing here and you kind of you don't you don't take from them but you you adapt you see what they do successfully and then you look at them and you're like, okay, they're doing this well. I don't do well in this department if I can borrow from them. And you kind of start taking pieces by piece of your inspirations and you kind of mold it into one person. So for me, I always knew what my aesthetic was going to be in drag, where I always knew that I wanted to look a certain way. I always knew that I needed to be like a buxomy Italian woman is what I wanted to look like. I wanted to look like Sophia Loren who ate too much pasta. That's literally what I wanted to look like. And so now I have the body. Um, but I always knew that I wanted to look a certain way. And so I used I got most of my costumes are custom made because I don't like wearing what other people would have. I like to have unique pieces. Mm -hmm. I still go to like Urban Planet and get things that I can mush together into an outfit. But that's what kind of sets everyone apart is that for me, I just, I don't know, I, I adapt very well. And I, I don't steal from anybody, but I like to borrow influences. And that's where, where you kind of, that's how you grow, I think, as a drag queen. You appreciate where you come from. You take that into yourself and you mold it into something of your own. It's a little sour, isn't it? Yeah. It, there's, a, there's some crisp, there's some texture in that juice. Speaking of texture, please put your hands together for my mother. Who, you were kind of saying as, as Empress and Ms. Club 200, you had the chance to tour to other clubs around Canada and the U.S. and perform. What was that experience like performing in front of crowds that aren't just Winnipeg? It's so cool to go to another place and they don't know who you are. Because when you're in Winnipeg and we have such a small-knit community that when you hear Satina Loren, people kind of know what to expect. Mm -hmm. And they know that they're going to see this type of show. They're not going to see XYZ, crazy, whatever. They're going to see Satina Loren. Whereas when you go out of town and no one knows who you are, it really gives you a chance to step up and show people what they haven't seen before. Mm -hmm. um, so I go to Edmonton often. And Edmonton, is, I always say, is my second home. I've never been treated better than in Edmonton. It's incredible. Their, their community is fantastic. And I think the energy that you get from them is incredible. Minneapolis is so much fun as well. Like I've been, I've been pretty much all over Canada. I haven't been to the uh, east side, um, but I've been all over uh, Western Canada. 
but it's really cool to get feedback from people who aren't in your own community who don't know who you are and and because at a certain point I always think that oh people like me because they know who I am and not because of what I do they just expect you to be good because you have a name Mm -hmm. whereas there they don't know me from a hole in the ground but hearing their their reaction to it is kind of like a a push to see where else you can go because if someone else who has never seen you before likes what you're doing Mm kind of means you're on the right track (laughs) so arguably one of your most iconic moments as a drag queen iconic uh was your 2014 calendar where Mm. you were a different disney princess for each month of the year how much work did that take to put together it was incredible it was a labor of love (laughs) um but my photographer uh, her name is tina jensen she's one of my best friends we we met i think it was at fame she was the photographer for them at the time and I'd always wanted to take pictures of me as Ariel. My whole thing is I wanted to be Little Mermaid. It was my favorite. And I wanted to have a picture as that. And then I realized that when we did the photo shoot, I was like, okay, this is really good. What else can we make from this? And I thought, you know what? We haven't had a calendar. Like, I've never seen a drag queen calendar before. Mm-hmm. In my limited knowledge, I never did that. So when I was Duchess that year, I thought that what better way for a fundraiser? Because you have to fundraise, obviously. So like, well, I can do this. And so me and her got together over, I think it was six months, and we did um, 13 photo shoots, which was a lot of money <laughs> and a lot of cost. Like, I, I, I honestly bought everything on eBay or, um, like, thrift shopping, um, put together costumes and put together outfits, and I, and uh, we did a photo shoot as, ever, as a bunch of the Disney princesses. I didn't ever use Disney in the advertising because, you know lawsuits and stuff <laughs> but it was a the fairy tale fantasies calendar mm-hmm. and so i did fairy tale princesses and, and uh, so me and tina did shoots and then we put them all together and released a calendar and we raised a shit ton of money wow. <laughs> like they were i think we i think the first year we did almost almost three thousand dollars of just sales i the only thing i kept myself was the printing cost because obviously they were you know, printing 300 calendars is not cheap either. Yeah. Um, so we took that, and then the rest was compl- all donated back to the charity. We uh, almost all the I think all the money went to um, the at the time the YA program, mm-hmm. Youth Educating Against Homophobia. And it went to that program at the Rainbow Research Center. Nice. So it was a nice way to to put my love for Disney and my love for drag into the same little boat and made a calendar out of it. So I did it for two years. I haven't done another one, but I'm hoping in the next year or two to do another one because I think it's. It's about time we have another one. (laughs) (laughs) And you're a pretty avid and really vocal Disney fan. What Mm -hmm. is it about Disney that that you're so enchanted by? Um, Well, as an artist, I just love seeing artwork turn into life. Like, I love seeing that. And I think I've always been interested in fairy tales and fables and fantastical stories, just because I think I grew up with them. But I think they just tell stories that are universal. And I think that even though people think now they're problematic because, you know, like princesses have to be saved by a man and have to, you know, do their own thing. I think that when we take the original stories and see the artwork and the the passion that goes into them, I think they're just incredible. Like my favorite thing is if you just look at a Disney movie and you pause, just pause it for a second and just look at the detail in the backgrounds, look at the character animation, look at the voice casting. It's all magic that just comes to life. And I, and I take a lot from that because my whole aesthetic and my whole appearance is taking something and turning it into magic. It just resonates for me. Like my tattoos on my wrist say once upon a time, happily ever after, because I believe in being happy and I believe in in that. And I think Disney, as corny as it sounds, is the hallmark of that. They just tell they tell stories that just need to be heard sometimes. 
I have no idea what it is. It's just everything about it is just just good to me. <laughs> I just love it. Let's talk a little bit about kind of your high school experience. Hmm. So you told Community News Commons a few years ago that you didn't come out as gay until you graduated, hmm. even though you thought people probably knew because of how Everyone you knew. dressed. <laughs> Everyone knew. It was not even like a, like, oh, is Carrie gay? No, he is. He's a full-fledged homosexual. <laughs> so then what was some of the fear surrounding coming out for you? Um, I think it was the fact that there at the time there was no other queer visibility or any resources that I knew of in my high school. And so if, to be honest, if there had been another person who had come out at the same time as me, I would have been like jumped on that bandwagon. But at the time, I literally knew other, knew no other gay people in my high school, in my grade, or in that were near me. <clears throat> so it was a fear of being the first one to do that. It would be a fear of what happens if people like me now, what will they not like if I come out? It was literally taking other people's perceptions of what I could be and like shoving it down my throat and like and not the good way and and just (laughs) and just no it was it was just I didn't want to risk the relationships I'd made to come out and do something stupid Mm. I was I I regretted it because I think if I had been more of myself and let people in I would have had a lot more I would have been more at ease when I came out to my grade 12 art class I think that was my first like group of friends I told they were like and you have anything else to say? <laughs> like, you know, and then when I told my group of friends at a birthday party, they all clapped. Oh. Like, they were like, it's about fucking time. Oh. Like, I thought it was full standing ovation. <laughs> to be honest, it almost was. I was like, I want to do drag. They're like, accurate. <laughs> well, because we had, uh, in high school, we had a gender bender, gender bender days for spirit week. Mm-hmm. And so one of them, I, I won because I was the only one who, like, wore a skirt and high heels to school because that's what you do so it was it was more like a it, they, they saw it coming but I just wasn't comfortable enough to say it myself at the time it was also just insecurity because every gay person goes through that like where you just don't know what's going to happen how people are going to take it and eventually when you do come out everyone expects it because I'm pretty fucking gay <laughs> like it's it's very hard to be like oh he's so straight like no no, Linda. No, I'm not. <laughs> so then how did it feel when you did come out, finally? Uh, it, it was a lot of relief because when you have that part of you that's trying to hide from everybody else, it really takes a toll on you because you have that one huge part of your life that you can't really talk about. So when you, when everyone knows about it, there's not really a, a topic you can't talk about. Because, like, for example, when I didn't tell my dad that I came out, he'd always ask, hey, what are you doing this weekend? I'd be like, oh, nothing. Hanging out. I can't say I'm going to a gay bar with my friends. I can't say I'm going to go start doing a show. I'm not going to, like, mm-hmm. how can you come over on weekends? Oh, I'm busy. Like, doing what? Well, <laughs> I'm a drag queen at a bar, you know? <laughs> like, it was very hard to to tell people details. Because mm-hmm. if you're saying that you're busy, people just assume, oh, you're doing something else. It's like, well, I have a huge other life that I'm leading. So it was very hard to, to do that. But once you come out, you don't have that barrier of having to make up a story. You can tell your own story. So how did your parents react to it when you did come out? My dad, we were at a friend's cabin and we had all drank our body weight in liquor. And um, and I, when he always asked, like, we were talking about something and he always asked, like, how come you don't call and how come you don't tell me how you're doing? I'm like, well, because to be honest, I can't tell you how I'm doing because you don't understand it. And then when I told him I was gay, he, he just said, you're, you're, my, you're my son. I don't give a fuck. And he gave me a hug. Mm-hmm. He's like, 
I don't give a shit. Like it, what you do doesn't affect me thing. Um, my mom, even though now she's one of the biggest supporters and one of the biggest influencers in our community right now, when I originally came out, she told me not to tell anybody. She was like, you're not, you're, you just think, you probably think you're confused. Um, I was bullied a lot as a kid and she was like, you're just taking their criticisms and just accepting it. You're not, yeah, you're, you're just theatrical. And it took her a while to realize that all the pieces will add up eventually to be being who I am. She never didn't believe me, but I think she was just immediately took over by the, oh my God, he's now in a position where he'll be attacked. Like he's put a rainbow bullseye on him. You always worry about your kids is what she said. The fact that I'm now a visible minority made her worry. And that's what I think she had to get over. And then she realized that that's who I was always and who I will always be. And then she immediately became my biggest supporter. Uh, when I told her I did drag, I told her that I, I came out and told her I did drag at the same time, mm-hmm. which is probably not the greatest thing to do. Cause like, <laughs> Hey, not only am I the gayest, I'm also the real gayest kid here. <laughs> I'm now, I dress like a woman, like here with both of them at the same time. And now she comes to as many shows as she can. She's now the fund developer at the Rainbow Resource Center. She's literally like the P-flag mom. Like she's the <laughs> gayest mom and it's amazing. And she she works with the court. She's a coordinator for it. Mm-hmm. And so she puts in so many hours of volunteering to make sure that we're a success. And she's incredible. I'm very, very lucky that I may have had a bit of a hiccup at the beginning, but I have the most incredible family. My Nona is a little Italian woman mm-hmm. and she loves coming to the bar. Like she's been to Club 200 multiple times for shows. And she just loves seeing us and she loves seeing the performances. And so I'm I'm very, very lucky that my whole family is, even though my brother, I have two brothers, I'm the middle child. They don't understand it, but they're not like, oh, gross. They're just like, whatever. We don't like it, but not like we're going to say no about it, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm just very, very lucky that my family is so incredible. This is from Satina's mom. I'd like to extend my thanks and love to Alan for allowing so many artists to take on the role of Miss Club 200 each year. Each winner comes with their own style and personalities. Thank you for making Club 200 safe and welcoming for so many performers, especially my girl, Cara Satina. I know Satina wanted to bring classic glamour back to the club this past year, and she succeeded in spades. Big Trouble in Middle Italy will be your best performance, no doubt. Cara Satina, you know I'm here tonight in spirit and in person. Even though I'm not here in person, just kidding, I know you're going to kill your final walk as Miss Club 200. Be very proud of all that you've done. I cannot be a prouder mom. Super happy you had this role and even happier you'll have more time on your hands. Maybe even clean up your condo. We're gonna let that one sink in. Good luck to all the contestants this year. Have a great evening and don't forget to tip these bitches. They work hard and spend a lot of money on dresses and makeup. Make some noise for Mama Satina. So a while ago, uh, you went back to your high school in drag to speak with their GSA. Mm-hmm. What was that like? How did that feel? It was interesting because I think that if I had a GSA when I was in high school, my entire high school experience would have been completely different. Mm-hmm. If I knew that there was a safe space for me to go to talk about my life and to see where I fit in, 
I would have been a completely different person. I would have been a lot more open and a lot more truthful. So for me, going back to my high school in drag uh, for their GSA meeting, just to talk to them about what I do and why I do it was really important because I realized that those people are going to be the next people that will be going to the bars and who will probably, who may or may not do drag. So if they have someone to talk to them about saying, yeah, it's okay to do this. And if you're who you are, there's nothing wrong with it. I think they need to have that experience. And then having me graduate from that school saying, I survived this high school experience. It's not impossible to get through high school. Like we can all do it. And I think that them having that concrete experience of seeing a person who went through their high school and their experiences, they can translate that and to be like, oh, okay, well, if Satina was here and is now successful, I think we aspire to that, which I hope is what I instilled in them is an aspiration to do more. I hope. (laughs) (laughs) You started doing drag right out of high school. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about the process of becoming Satina. Yeah. um, Well, I've always known that I loved wearing women's clothing. I don't, high heels are my favorite. Like it was, (laughs) if it was socially acceptable to wear heels every day of my life, I probably would. Um, (laughs) But I used to wear my mom's clothes all the time. And I used to like take tablecloths and make them into dresses and perform. And I, I I remember seeing RuPaul's supermodel, uh, the music video on MTV or much music what we had. And I was like, Mom, who is that? And she's like, oh, that's a drag queen. I'm like, what's a drag queen? And she's like, oh, he's that's a man type thing. And I knew intrinsically that that was like something I would have, I don't know, you can make a career out of it. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. but no, I, I went to a couple of drag shows and I think it was the very first one I went to see. After the show, I went up to the drag queens who at the time uh, who were performing were Sharon and Lita. I went up to Sharon and I just said, oh my God, I love what you guys are doing. I didn't know this was a thing how do I do this? I want to, I want to do this. And so I gave Sharon my number and we ended up hanging out and they started me on my trajectory of getting my first tucking panties, getting my first bra, getting my, you know, my, my first wig. Um, and that same night I was in the bathroom and my drag mother is Lita Tequila. If you haven't met her, I'm, I'm sorry, you're missing out. Um, <laughs> she literally gra- she was wearing two wigs and she pulled one of them off and hucked it at me and said, hold my weave while I piss. And she <laughs> went to go to the bathroom stall, but it was occupied. So she just literally went to the urinal, whipped out everything, peed, grabbed her wig, put it back on her head and said, you're cute. I'm going to paint you one day. <laughs> and then lo and behold, she and I started hanging out. And it was kind of like a building a friendship out of nothing because you start not knowing anything. And I kind of just thrust myself into their lives and made sure that they remembered me. (laughs) And so, uh, so Lita became my drag mother and she kind of taught me all the basics, like getting what, what makeup to use, how to do things. And then Samara Styles, uh, Craig Ross, uh, is my other drag mother. I adopted my persona of being a well put together woman from her. (laughs) I got my party side from Lita. (laughs) And so it was like the best of both worlds in one. So drag families are really prevalent in Winnipeg because we always have a sense of wanting to belong to something. And when you have your own drag family, it kind of builds a stronger relationship in your community. It's not like there were elitist and we're not, we don't ever base our value on our families. But when you have your own little support group that you can talk to and you know that those people will always be there for you, it's really, really empowering. And that's why I think drag families are so 
sought after and they're so they're wanted because they they give you that that sense of being so I'm very lucky that I have really incredible drag parents. And then Chad Chikowski is my drag dad. Um, he's He makes a lot of my music mixes, and he always tells me when I look like garbage, which is never. <laughs> uh, but he always, like, I remember one time I wore a necklace that was like a bib. Like, it was a weird, like, gaudy, god-awful thing. And mm-hmm. I said, hey, how's my necklace? He's like, well, aside from being gaudy, it's on crooked. Yeah. Like, so... That's where I get my my sarcasm from. It's probably him. <laughs> I'm very lucky to have that that like start out of kind of going to a bar as never seeing a drag show before, and then immediately kind of throwing myself into it head first. And then like within a month, I did my first show at Geo's. There was a Angels and Demons show, and Lita said she didn't want to perform, so there was an open spot, and she asked if I could fill it, and I filled it. And ever since that first performance, it was just a invite her back and so I performed at every other show that I could did a lot of open drag shows and then started with the court even though I wasn't at the time I didn't have a title I liked to tour with everybody just to kind of see what it was about and ended up performing in other cities and here I am and here you are I know right it's nice (laughs) so what are some of your best memories of being in drag to be honest even though it's the worst day of my life is pride (laughs) because you have to wake up at like the ass crack of dawn to put on your face <laughs> and you just done an event the night before uh, pride is incredible just seeing the sheer volume of support and seeing even though people like even though people can say that pride is a way for people to just have a party during the day it's really seeing all those people there that are there to support us in general who cares if they only come out once a year they're still there but performing on the main stage of pride is one of the most incredible things I've ever done just as to walk out and to perform and you just see like a sea of people and to see that amount of of support is is ridiculous like it's so nice because I love honestly I love performing in small clubs and I love performing for people but the moment you have a gigantic audience like that and they're so receptive and when you walk out afterwards and they ask to take pictures with you like you feel like a superstar and I think because not everyone gets to perform at Pride, it's not every drag queen who gets to do that. And I've been blessed for the last like five or five or so years. I've been able to, I was always asked to perform, and I take that with a badge of honor because it's one of the most incredible things. Like it, I, I it, there's no words to, to kind of, encapsulate how Pride feels when you're performing, but that's incredible. And the other great memories I have are, are like winning Empress um, because it, uh, when you run for Empress there's an actual election that happens and people actually have to go out and vote for you so I didn't know how many people would vote or if they even did <laughs> but but when you at coronation when you find out that you win they kind of sequester you into a room and then they tell you if you won or not and then they bring you out and you get crowned and my crowning ceremony I think was one of my other accomplishments because it's something that I ran for and I wanted and I got it. And so being holding an orb and a scepter and a sword and like being <laughs> crowned is, is it's, it's a really nice feeling to be honest, like sitting there on it with like a giant cloak and sitting on a throne is kind of what every, every kid wants, you know, like everyone says, like, Oh, I want to be, a, I want to be a princess. I want to be a, you know, a prince. I'm like, I'm royalty technically, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it felt really nice to have that as well. One more time. I just have one thing to say after that. Follow this, you bitches. 
so speaking of performing for big crowds, just last night I saw you perform with House of Gold Diamonds, uh, mm-hmm. which for people who don't know what that is, it's one of Winnipeg's biggest party production teams by mm-hmm. Mama Cutsworth and DJ Jay Jackson. They're so good. They're so good. <laughs> They're, They're so incredible. good. It was my first time seeing one of their shows last night. Oh my God. I know. And it was how packed. it is. Honestly, the, the funny thing is that they always say to get there early to their events and people are like, oh, that's funny. I'll just walk in when I want to. Turned away. Turned away. Yeah. Like at it, like 11. Yeah. And I and I and honestly, I don't like when people turn people away. But literally, when the bar is packed and you cannot move in the bar, mm-hmm. they have to start turning people away. And it's 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 incredible that I was asked. It was a couple of years ago. I think we've been doing it for almost four or five years now. They were saying that they were they were trying to do a different take on their parties, and they said we want to have divas, the House of Gold Diamond divas, mm-hmm. and they said it, they wanted to have the four that they thought were. Not only were we really good friends, but they were like, we want each of you offer something different. So there's myself, Tyra Boinks, uh, Vita Lamour, and Brianna Burlesque. Mm-hmm. And all of us offer a complete different take on drag. And they thought that we would encapsulate what their parties are, which is all divas all the time. It's incredible. Like, they're, like I, there's not been a time where I've ever gone and people are like, oh, there's a song I didn't want to dance to. Like, <laughs> there is not one time where you're not dancing. And so when they asked us to be part of their production team and to be part of their events, why wouldn't you? Like, why? Like, why would you want to turn down a party like that? And it, and I think it's one of the, it's one of the most uh, looked forward to events. Um, when they announce them, they're sold out. They're the the place to go to mm-hmm. for those shows. And uh, I just feel really lucky and blessed that I know them and that they're such great people to work with, and they're just fun. Like I'm, I'm assuming since you were, I saw you yesterday. Um, yeah, it was. It's a, it's a great time. Oh my god, it's a blast. Like it's, and it's a, insane. And and it's funny because people always think, oh, they're a DJ, they're a TJ troupe. They just play music. There's a feeling mm-hmm. that happens. Like there's, it's, it's not just music that's playing. There's like an, uh, there's like a an aura, an aura, and like and like and a sense of this is what they're doing because they love doing it and they're really good at it. Yes. You know? So that's why I love doing those shows is because it breathes a bit of a, uh, like a, it's a nice dance party and it's a good time to hang out with your friends, but there's also a really fierce show that happens right at midnight. That's what our, that's when we go on and we do our numbers and it just kind of brings everyone's talents all together. And it's, it's so much fun. Oh my God. If you haven't gone to a house of gold diamonds event, you're missing out because <laughs> it's a good time. <laughs> that is- Lastly, what do you want to do next with your drag? What's next? Well, I think well, you said this is going to come out after I'm done my Miss Club 200 year. Yeah. Um, I will literally have done everything you can do in this city, which is, it's 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 so strange thinking about that drag queen when you first start out. You're like, I'm so new, and I'm like, you're like that like little naive, like I'm going to take over the world. <laughs> when you've taken over the world, it's kind of really a good feeling. Like it's 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 incredible. The journey that I've been on, I've I've been so blessed to share it with the family and friends that I've shared it with. Mm. I just want to do what I want to do and put on shows that I think people want to see. Um, because as Miss Club 200, I was able to put out a lot of good production shows. And I think that that's where I realized is where my, my forte is, is taking a the good theme event and making it happen. Like... I actually found out that uh, when I did my history of the world, we all did character impersonations. We did people throughout history. It was the most well-attended drag show that's ever happened in Winnipeg. Wow. They had raised more money at that drag show than they had in the, the bar's history, which I thought was like incredible. He, the next day, they, they didn't believe that they, like we, did, we made more money than Pride 
Wow. Like one of our weekends at Pride is it, it yeah. So it was one of those like solidifying moments or in my drag career I'm like I did something really really good like and I and I as much as people say to be humble I like to toot my own horn when it's tooted and when it when it needs to be tooted but uh I I think I just I would like to do drag the way I want to do it and include everyone that needs to be in it and uh I honestly I just I just see me taking over everything to be honest (laughs) I don't know I, I I just like to to be involved still I love community work and I love doing charity work and I love performing so I think I'm just gonna do me and do drag when I need to do it and not when I have to do it (laughs) but uh I don't know we'll see where it goes the you know the sky's the limit and I don't have anything to block me in my way so I don't know where do you want me to go (laughs) headed out to get subway in like 30 minutes so I'm so excited for that but yeah no I just uh I just see my trajectory going up and onwards (laughs) and uh learning I kind of want to be that drag queen that's like the mom like Mama Loren is what I want to be, like where people feel comfortable to go up to you and like just usher in a new era of greatness. I'd like to see that happen. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. You're very welcome. (laughs) It's great to see me, isn't it? (laughs) Thank you. I had a blast. Thank you so much to Satina for sitting down with me. Our next guest is one of the newer queens in our city, but she's been dominating the scene since her debut a year ago with her killer performances. Here's a clip from her episode. I think drag is just inherently political, and for people who, especially, well, I'm ner- I'm very nervous about, total off topic, <laughs> <laughs> I'm very nervous about just the newer generations and just like how they interpret what drag is. I was privileged to be in the Prairie Theater Exchange class, which I... Uh, which was a drag class with two of the best mothers I could ever ask for, Vita Lamore and Farrah Mellons. Mm-hmm. They taught me so much about what drag came from and the history of these iconic queens who had to suffer through all these things and just like figures where we should really know and just movies we should really watch. And I found out that just like drag isn't just a fun thing. Like it can be, obviously, but it wasn't just a like a fun thing for people back then. Mm-hmm. And I think for the newer generations, it's going to be hard because you have YouTube now and you have Instagram and whatever and RuPaul's Drag Race and all these shows where it's been shying away from being political mm-hmm. which is not what drag is like I think you should really like ha- have any really learn what drag came from yeah and then decide what you want to do instead of being like you know what I just want to have fun I just want to do drag on Halloween which you can mm-hmm. and then expand from that And, of course, thank you so much to Claire Boning of Veneer for the fantastic intro and outro music, and to Red River College for letting me use your audio equipment. Until next episode, remember to always tip your local drag queens.